good this morning? Come on, come on. I'm excited uh, about uh, the series that we're, we're starting uh, today uh, for the next 10 weeks. Uh, and uh, it is our, our 10 reaction statements. We are turning uh, 10 uh, this year, uh, 10 years as a church, heading into a new decade. And... Um, yeah, excited about that, excited about the, the, the foundation that we laid last week of restoring and rebuilding and that, that foundation of our relationship with Jesus and our prayer life and everything that we talked about. And then who are we called to be uh, as a church? I remember, you know, 10 years ago now, 11 years ago, as we're moving here and, and dreaming about what it could could mean to, to start a church and to, to reach and connect people and God took me to this verse in, in the book of James. It says, faith without action is dead. And that's where Action Church came from. A, a church without action doesn't need to exist. A, a church in which the community wouldn't miss it if we were gone has not served uh, any of its purpose. And God gave me this thought that every action uh, demands a, a reaction. And the, the message today is kind of around that idea that, that God's action and, and sending his, his son Jesus, that demands a, a response or a reaction from us. Are we going to reject or receive this, this idea, this gift, this person of, of Jesus? And then what will our response be to that action of salvation, of grace, of redemption given to us? What will our response will it be? And then God led me to 1 Timothy chapter 4 and gave me these 10 reaction statements, if you will. Our reaction will be these things. This is what it looks like to be a part of Action Church. These are our values, if you will. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 through 16 it says, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. And, and that was relevant 10 years ago uh, because I was 29 years old uh, when we started the church. And I just want to thank all of you for aging me 20 years and 10 years. Uh, my forehead thanks you for growing it as I lose my hair and it turns gray and you're to blame. And so uh, leading you has been a privilege and also putting me in an early grave. Uh, don't let anyone look down on you. Because you are young, uh, but set an example. That's what we're going to talk about today. These, these 10 statements are found in this passage. That, that is our phrase for today. Set an example. We'll talk about that in just a moment. For the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity, until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given through the prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and watch your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers, those that hear you. Set an example. What is the example that, that, that God is calling us to set? We can take this in, in so many different directions, but, but when God gave us our reaction statements, our values, I had a, a dream that we would be a church that was full of joy. Like, like Christians should be the most joy-filled people on this earth. We should be the happiest people on this earth, both in our, in our core, in our spirit, and, and just in our soul and our emotions. Why? Because we have a hope that's not tied to here. We should have some fun. That is our first statement. We want to make it hard for people to go to hell by making it fun to go to church. Has anybody ever been in a church where you felt like you were just enduring it? 
Come on, I grew up in a great church, but man, I fell asleep every Sunday. Well, it's not fun. It, we endured it. It was not fun. I mean, I believe church is meant to not just be endured, but meant to be enjoyed. But let me take it a step further. I believe Christians are meant to be enjoyed, not just endured. That we should be people that people want to be around. Make it hard for people to go to hell by making it fun to go to church. That's why we do song fest, lights, camera, action. That's why every once in a while we'll tell a joke that you'll laugh at. You'll tell your friends, oh, that's so funny. Ha <laughs> ha. It's why we're kind. It's, it's why we dress in youth pastor uniforms every once in a while. This is my fun outfit, by the way. I got up and told Gabby, I'm going to wear my fun outfit today. I'm going to try and look like I'm not 40. I'll be back to, to dressing like 40 next week. That's my, my youth pastor uniform, youth pastor uniform. Trying to be like Logan and fit in the student section over here. Hopefully the students here at Winter Park and at uh, Sanford Oviedo, hopefully you're proud of your pastor today. These, these will go back in the closet next week. Have, have fun. Have fun in church. That's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to close our fast uh, uh, tonight together at Encounter Night. Hopefully you're all planning to come. But we've got... We've got bounce houses for the kids. We've got an after party. We've got food trucks. We've got so many games to play. So we're going to have encounter. We're going to have encounter with Jesus, and then we're going to have some fun. Yeah. Did you know that you could have an encounter, deep encounter in the presence of God, and still out and go and laugh with your friends? Like, it's amazing. You can do all of those things. Make it hard for people to go to hell, making it fun to go to church. Because here's the reality. You are spending eternity somewhere. You are, I am, every single person that sucks air off this planet is going to spend an eternity with God or without God. And the choice, the choice is yours. Because God gave us a gift. John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he, come on, for God so loved the world that he, he gave. He, he gave a gift. He gave his son Jesus that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. We are uh, spending eternity somewhere, and the choice is that we've been given a gift. The choice is do we receive the gift and then react to it and live differently, or do we reject the gift? Do we receive or do we reject? I want to go to Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, and share one of my, my favorite passages of scripture, one of my favorite sermons to preach is Luke chapter 15. It's the story of the lost son or the, the prodigal's son. It's a story about you and about me. You will find yourself in this story. We find a loving father in who we have in our heavenly father, and we find an older son and we find a younger son. And I want to submit to you this morning that in certain seasons of your life, maybe even today, you and I are either or both of these sons and how we live our life and how we respond to this gift of Jesus. Luke chapter 15 tells three different parables Three different parables Jesus uses to teach one concept, and that is that when things are lost, they need to be found. Does anybody else like me that you get obsessed when you lose something? Is anybody else like me that you lose something every single day? Yes, every day. And I'm upset. I can't do it. If, if something comes, where, where are my keys? Where, where's my wallet? Where's something that I haven't seen in six months and I don't need it all today? I'll be looking for something and not doing anything else because something's lost. I don't even need it, but it's lost. Got to find it. That is 
Our mission, by the way, our great co-mission in this life is to go and reach lost people. Go and make disciples is the goal, but to make become a disciple, we have to first introduce them to make a decision of repentance, which means we have to reach people. Jesus uses three parables talking about the value of things that are lost. Lost sheep, shepherd goes and finds it. Lost coin, you turn the house over. Lost son, the, the father waits on his return. Starting in verse one and two, and then we'll jump down to the parable of the lost son. It says, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associated with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. Jesus hung out with people that didn't go to church. Jesus had friends that believed different things than he did. Jesus didn't just come to, to live and to die for people that had it already together that would not even be prudent or needed. He came to die for those that were lost, and we all are, but we, like the Pharisees, we like to categorize sin. And we like to judge people that sin differently than us, and we look at people and says, Jesus, come on, Jesus, you can, you can hang out and teach with them, but you can't eat with them. We got to make sure that in our in our pursuing of people that we don't just sit here in the safety of our auditoriums and in our Christian circles that we don't just wait for them to come. It says Jesus didn't just teach and preach; he even shared a meal with them, which means he pursued them, which means he went to where they were comfortable. He went to where they were, which is why we can't just come here. We should we should gather. There, do not forsake the gathering of the believers. The book of Hebrews said this is important, but this is the start, not the end. He shows the importance of that in this, this passage, and he, he attracted sinners. Notice that Jesus' lifestyle, his love, his compassion, his joy attracted sinners, not repelled them. Come on, how many of us Christians are known that we, we repel people and we don't uh, attract people? The prodigal son was written, was preached by Jesus for notorious sinners and religious leaders. What I want to show you today is that maybe your religion or your rebellion that has separated you from God. And we find both of those in this, this story. I want to have some fun in church. If you've been around Action Church, I, I did this, uh, this, this similar uh, introduction uh, in, in 2019, but it's one of my favorite ones. This is the Justin Daly version of the prodigal son. And uh, we're going to have some fun in church today. And if you don't like this, it's because you're not fun. Because <laughs> this is fun. I've already done this in front of a couple thousand people. It's really fun. And so it's going to be fun. Turn your neighbor and say, this is going to be fun. Turn your neighbor and say, this is going to be impressive. I don't know if you know this, but I can really sing. This is the musical version of The Prodigal Son, by the way. And my vocal cords, my vocal cords are like a symphony orchestra. The harmony, the melody. The truth is, I don't even know what harmony melody is. And so, but the, the story of The Prodigal Son goes like this. The, the younger uh, son uh, goes to his father, his wealthy father, and says, Dad, I, I love you, uh, appreciate you, but I no longer want anything to do with you. If you could just give me my money uh, and give me my inheritance, then, then I'm going to leave. It's all about the money, money, money. Daddy, give me your money, money, money. Just want to make the world dance. It's all about the price tag. So he asks for the money. He gets his, he gets his inheritance, and then, and then he goes, and he, he leaves the estate. He leaves the ranch, and he goes, and the Bible says that he begins to waste it on, on drinking and on prostitutes, but what it describes is it says he's wasting it on wild living. 
If that's not the churchiest term I've ever heard in my whole life. Where's Bob been? He's just out there with prostitutes and beers and doing the wild living. You know, just out there, just being a heathen. Listening to secular music and all those things that just wild, wild living. So he, he goes and wastes all his money on, on, on drugs, drinking, prostitutes. And then it says that at that time, uh, a famine hits the land. So he runs out of money and a famine hits the land. How many of you know your, your sin will always take you to places that you don't want to go? Amen. Don't go chasing waterfalls. Please stick to the rivers and the seas of Galilee that you're used to. Prodigal son, I know you're going to have it your way or nothing at all. Son, I think you're moving too fast. Wild living, wild living. So he's wild living. He's lost everything. He finds himself in a pig pen feeding pigs. This wealthy son of a, of a, of a landowner and estate owner is now so poor and so broken that he's taken the position of a servant, a slave, and feeding pigs in a pig pen. You know he had to be in that, that mess and in that filth just thinking, is it too late to say sorry? Because I... I want him more than just your money. So he's, he's trying to say sorry. He's like, I, if I was just a servant in my, my father's house, then, 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 then I'd have it better than here. Even the slaves, even the workers have it better. So I, I need to take myself from my current situation that I've created and go back and just beg for forgiveness that, that my father would take me back in as a slave. And it says he returns home. The prodigal son returns home. And while he's a long ways off, the, the father sees him. And it says he runs to him, which would have been very uh, uh, not uh, normal for that, that setting or that time because a wealthy man would not be in a hurry for anybody. He would not run to anybody. He could have stoned, killed, or, or, or put in prison his son for betraying and defaming the family name and wasting the inheritance. Instead, he runs, and the Bible says that he embraces him. He doesn't shun him. He doesn't judge him. He embraces him, and he says he kisses him, full of his filth and his nastiness, coming from the pig pen, still covered in all of his his mistakes and all of his dirtiness is that kisses him. And the Hebrew or the Greek word says he, he kisses him and he keeps on kissing him. He gave him butterfly kisses with all the servants there sticking little white flowers in his dirty hair. Walked out on you, daddy, for the last time. Can you ever forgive me, daddy? Daddy, don't cry. Oh, with all that I've done wrong, can I ever make it right? And deserve a hug every morning, butterfly kisses at night. Butterfly kisses with all the service there. He says, hey, get the fattened calf ready. We've got to throw a party. What was lost has now been found. What we thought was dead has now been brought back to life. And then we see the older brother come in. He's enraged. He's angry because he feels like he deserves all of the praise. And why are we celebrating this, this lost son, this one who, who defamed you, who made you look bad, who destroyed our family name? Why are we celebrating him? And the father looks at the older son. He says, we have to celebrate because the son has come home. What was lost is now found. Your father has a heart of redemption. He has a path of restoration. He has a gift of grace that is Jesus Christ, the son that has been given for you and for me. Will you receive it or will you reject it? 
Some of you never received it before. Some of us have received the person of Jesus, but we've placed the purpose of Jesus somewhere off in the distance. For two reasons we reject this gift found in each of the sons in this passage. The first one is we reject the gift because of a religious heart. We reject the gift because of a religious heart. We go to Luke's gospel, chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son, I figured we'd read the New Living Translation and not just the Justin Daly version because it is church. <laughs> Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he had heard the music and the dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed a fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe Return. The older brother became angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And on all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. See, a, a religious heart is this idea that I deserve something. And the reason that, that religions are so popular is because you and I were created. We were created to know God and to make him known. We were created to worship. We have this desire to be connected to a higher power. But religion, which is not what Christianity is, it's a relationship with Jesus. Religion makes it where we try and do some things so that we can get to God. That if I do enough, if I say enough, if I earn enough, re religion leads to a very entitled, like if I do this, then I get this. Religion is outwardly good, but usually inwardly inwardly gross. And in fact, the religious leaders who approached Jesus right here at Luke 15, he was already teaching and the Pharisees come up because they're, they're angry with his teaching. Jesus is telling this parable, but the parable he's telling is a familiar parable about the lost son. This would have been a common story in that time. The difference was the older brother. The older brother was not a part of the original story in that time. Jesus added it because the religious leaders walked up. He wanted to let them know that it wasn't just rebellious people. It wasn't just notorious sinners that needed to be saved. It was religious people as well. He added this to the story, but a religious heart will reject We'll reject God, we'll re reject the Father, and, and here's why. Because a religious heart leaves us angry. Verse 28, it says the older son was angry. He was angry because this younger brother was being celebrated. Why? Because he had bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart towards his younger brother. How do you know you have unforgiveness towards somebody? What do you do? What do you feel like when they're celebrated? Wow. Oh, they don't deserve that. Then you know that you have some bitterness or unforgiveness in your heart. And forgiveness is like setting the captive free and realizing you were the one in captivity. You're not hurting them. I remember growing up, uh, I used to get, get angry every once in a while uh, with, with, with my family, usually with my, my sister. And, and a couple of times I would like be like, well, I'm, I'm just not eating dinner. And my mom would be like, don't bite your nose off to spite your face. And I don't know what that means really still to this day. But I just know that it, the point is that I would go to dinner. I'd be like, I'm not eating with you people. And all that I got was waking up really, really hungry. Didn't hurt anybody else. Your anger, your unforgiveness, your bitterness is not hurting the person that you're angry at. It's just hurting, 
It's hurting you. A religious heart will leave us angry. The second step, verse 29, the, the older son says, I've slaved for you all of these years. Can we unpack that for a second? This is the older son of a wealthy man, a son of the house, the first in line to inherit everything. But his religious heart, his anger, his bitterness, his unforgiveness has now caused a son, a firstborn son, to now say, I'm no longer a son, I'm a slave. Because if our heart's not in the right place, we get our motives wrong, and then we start to see things not as they actually are. We just see them through the broken filter of our bitterness and our anger. Religion changes it because it goes from, I can't believe I, I get to receive Jesus, and I get to respond, and I get to help others. Religion says, I have to do this. Come on, do you remember if you've been around church for a while, or if you're new to church and you maybe you just gave your life to Jesus, like, do you remember like just praying like big prayers? Like, God, I just I wanna I wanna talk to somebody about Jesus. I wanna serve somebody, I wanna help somebody, I wanna leave seven, I wanna lead 17 small groups. You know what I mean? I just wanna I wanna come to church at the 9 a.m. and the 1045 and back for encounter. And I came every day to prayer and I'm so excited. And I went to action steps and I found out my gifts and I just prayed, God use me. And then I started a small group and then I went to an outreach and lives are being changed. And then six months later, I pray, God, use me, God, use me, God, use me. And then I get to six months, a year in, and I say things like, I just feel used. So we pray for it. Usually happens because we didn't get the recognition or the affirmation that we, we thought we deserved. The small group leader, the pastor, the church member didn't, didn't appreciate what we did. And we weren't doing it out of an overflow of our relationship with God. We were doing it out of a religious heart. We were doing it because it made us feel better. And the accolades and the affirmation and the recognition made me feel better. Helping others made me feel better about me. And we exchanged the real relationship for Jesus, receiving his grace, and then extending it to others, receiving all that he had done for us, and now blessing others with it. And now we made it about us. We're angry. Now we're enslaved to our own bitterness, our own, check out the next one, entitlement. Entitlement. Angry, enslaved, and then in, entitled. He says, this son of yours, this son of yours, like he, he begins to say, I, I'm not even a part of it. Like this, this is separate from me. You ever done that before? Like maybe in your, your family or uh, to your spouse or you're like, this, this ain't me, this is you. Like this son of yours, this daughter of yours. Like you, you get a little behavior at the house, you're like, this ain't my DNA. <laughs> this crazy came from you. This son, this son of yours, this son of yours, this is the brother. He's not, he's taking himself out of the equation. He's saying this son of yours has done this, which means, which means that he knew what his brother was doing. The whole, this son of yours is wasting all of your money on prostitutes and while living is the verse 29, which means the older brother knew where the younger brother was the whole time. And instead of going out and helping, he just stayed bitter and angry. Who has God placed in your life that is running, that is hurting, that is the prodigal? And instead of going and reaching them where they are, we just sit in the safety of our row, of our group, of our location. Angry, enslaved, entitled. How do we break this, this religious heart? How do we break this entitlement? Because the entitlement, entitlement seeks the, the hand of God instead of the heart of God. That's what religion does. God, I want something from you. I need something from you. We live in a society, I think you would agree with me, 
that very much has their, their hand out. God, give me this. God, I need this. I deserve, I deserve this. And isn't it crazy that once we receive it, <laughs> we get what we prayed for, we kind of just go back to doing our own thing. Like we, we believe God when we need it, but then we don't need it. It's because we're subscribed to maybe a little more religion than we are relationship. So how do we change that? We change from a handout in, in entitlement to a hand up in gratitude. God, if you never did anything for me ever again, God, I'll bless your name from the valley or from the mountaintop. God, from the hotel resort or the hospital room. I'm just grateful. See, gratefulness kills entitlement. It's an exchange. So how do we heal this religious heart? We, we get gratefulness. How do we, how do we do that? Write this down. We thank God. We thank God for everything in our life. And then write this down and we celebrate what he's doing in others. How do you know that you, you, it's not just about you, that you can not only be grateful for all that he's done for you, both big and small, but that you can celebrate what he's doing in the life of those around you? Somebody else getting something doesn't mean that God's taking something from you. What I want you to see with this older son is religion had caused him to be so entitled and so selfish that if it wasn't for him, he didn't want anything to do, do with it. And the father's like, hey, this isn't about you right now. This is about your younger brother. You've been here. I'm getting ahead of my, you've been here the whole time. I don't, we don't need to celebrate. We're still in relationship. We're celebrating because what was lost has now come home. A religious heart won't just separate us from God. It'll separate us from enjoying the things that God wants to do in us and through us. We just miss so many things. A, a religious heart, a religious heart will separate us from God. It will cause us to reject the gift. The second thing, write this down, a rebellious heart will cause us to reject the gift of Jesus. Luke 15, 12 through 18, uh, it goes on to say this. It says, uh, I, mean, I had two sons, a younger son told his father, I want to, sh I want to share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on wild living. A, a rebellious heart will cause you to reject the giver and abuse the gifts. Reject the giver and abuse the gifts. It, it'll be about what God can give you and not the relationship. At about this time, the money ran out and a great famine swept over the land. He began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. He wasted everything, and then a famine hit. Isn't that just like sin? When you start in sin, you do not, very rarely do you think about or contemplate the results of the decisions that you're making. And we see that he runs out of money and then a famine hits at the same time. And it's amazing that sin takes you further, keeps you longer and costs you more than you were ever willing to pay. We, we don't, if we don't, if we played the long game, if we played out the worst case scenario, we probably wouldn't start doing what we're doing. But the problem is, is, is that it's, it's fun. And that's one of the worst things I heard growing up from church is that sin isn't fun. Sin is fun. If you're not having fun in your sin, you're doing it wrong. You're a poor sinner. <laughs> sin is fun. 
But the problem is that once it starts, once we start this path of rebellion, once we start this running from the things of God, where it takes us, the process may be fun, but the destination is destruction. Feeding the pigs. Rejects the giver or abuses the gift. Pastor, I've never abused the gift. Yes, you have. We've all taken the gifts that God has given us and used them for something other than his glory. Well, pastor, I haven't abused the gifts. I, I, I haven't gone on a drinking bender and I, and I haven't been with a prostitute. Well, good start. Good job. Baseline Christianity. But we've taken the talents, the passions, the ideas, the businesses, the family, and we have taken it to build up self, to glorify self, to be successful, and not use it as an investment for the glory of God. We have rejected the giver and abused the gifts by not using what God gave us for his glory and for others' benefit. We find him in the famine here, since he's working for this, this farm, this landowner, and we find him feeding the pigs. And what's crazy about the symbolism here is this young Jewish man would have been working all day in the fields, sweating, bleeding, sun up to sun down, feeding pigs. If you know anything about Hebrew culture, Jewish people can't eat pork. So symbolically, what I want you to catch today is this, this, this man's sin, his rebellion, had led him to a place where his whole life he was working, he was striving, he was suffering, but he was pursuing, he was working for something, he was feeding something that could never feed him. And we have fed things with our sin and with our rebellion and with our running from God, whether it be notoriety, whether it be affirmation, whether it be social media, whether it be a substance, whether it be a relationship, you are feeding something. You are working all day to gain something, to pursue something, to win something. You're feeding something. But I promise you, when it gets to the end of it, it can never feed you. There's no nourishment there. There's no fulfillment there. The only fulfilling thing will be when you put your life and your future into the hands of God and allow him to give it purpose. So, so what do I do? Because he's sitting there and you've been there before. If you've never been there before, you're lying to yourself. We've all been a pig pen of our own creation. We've all been there. Different levels. Some of you had more fun sinning and you got a lot bigger pig pen. Bigger mess. But we've all been there. But what I want to make sure you don't feel today that's not from God is, is, is remorse, regret, guilt, or shame. Because those will lead to pity, but they won't lead to progress. And God does not bring shame because shame leaves us pity. It leaves us guilty. It leaves us stagnant. Grace and conviction shows us a way out. So what I want you to hear today is there's always a way out. But the way out is not a new route or a new path. The way out is repentance, which means to return. The way out is to return to the Father. Was he going to be angry at me? No. Is he going to be mad? No. He already knew what you were going to do. You're stupid. did not surprise him. <laughs> and I just picture it this way. I don't know how you picture it, but I picture this estate, this ranch, massive fence lines. I just picture a huge kind of 
dirt driveway, maybe half mile long, and the house is up on the hill. And I just picture this, this father, when his son leaves and he hears the rumors and he knows that he's struggling, I just picture him getting his morning cup of coffee and sitting on the porch and looking like maybe this will be the day. Son comes up, maybe my son will come home. I picture him working in the fields and see somebody in the periphery on the road. Is that, is that him? Every night before he blows out the candle, he just opens the door, looks one more time down the path, lit up and sees, is my son coming home? Pacing at the window and just waiting. Because when you lose something that's important, you don't ever forget about it. And then one day the son makes the corner, he makes the turn and he walks up the driveway. The father doesn't wait, he runs. Because God's eyes of grace are quicker than our eyes of conviction. His feet of forgiveness are faster than our feet of repentance. We are one step, we are one turn, we are one decision away from that moment. Amen. And from that embrace. He's not going to be mad at you. He's madly in love with you. And he's not going to make you a servant or a slave, which would have been better than the pig pen. I'd rather be a slave or a servant in the kingdom of God than be lying and working in my own filth of sin and shame that has separated me. Something powerful happens in this last moment. And I believe symbolically and spiritually is what God wants to show you today. If you will return to him, Maybe you left, maybe you've never even known that this father existed, but when you come into this moment, here's what happens. There's an exchange that happens. We exchange our pig pen for a palace. We go from sin in the grave and eternity apart from God to called, we're grafted in, we're adopted sons and daughters, co-heirs with Jesus. And here's what the father does. The son comes and they embrace. First off, he doesn't say, bathe, get cleaned up, fix yourself before you can come back in. He hugs him right in the middle of the mess. Some of you are waiting to return to God till you get ready. You're never going to be ready. You can't clean up the mess that you've made. It says he gives him his robe. And that's what happened on the cross. There was an exchange that happened. Our sin for Jesus' righteousness. He gives him his robe symbolizing the righteousness of the Father. You are welcomed back in. I don't see you as your filth. I see you as my son. Takes the sandals off of his own feet. Why is that important? Because in the Old Testament, there was rules, there was rituals, there was systems to get to the presence of God. Anytime God would show up, he'd say, take off your shoes for your own holy holy ground, but now in the New Testament, because Jesus entered the scene, we no longer have to go through rituals and, and, and all these different things. We have direct access to a relationship with God. So it gives him the sandals off his feet. says, so you can boldly enter my throne room, my presence. You can ask and you will find, you can seek and the door will be open. All of those things, he gives him the sandals off his feet. And then lastly, my favorite one, he gives him the ring off his finger. You're not a servant. You're not a slave. You're my son, you're my daughter. And I believe that invitation, that reception is available for every single one of us. I just really believe that today at all of our locations, this is a day where you take a step 
maybe for the first time ever, for the first time in a long time, a step in the right direction and you return to the Father's heart of redemption. You stop being led by a religious heart. It's not about you. You stop being led by your own desires, a rebellious heart of just trying to fulfill those desires and those wants and those needs. And you say, you know what? I can't do it anymore. I believe the table is set. Come on, the calf's on the grill. The band's getting ready to play. All we need for the celebration is for that what was lost to now be found. What was running now to return home. I want to invite you to make that decision today. You are going to spend eternity somewhere. And the decision to accept the gift of Jesus is the most important decision you'll make in this life and the next. Stop fighting on your own and give your life to Jesus. Every head bowed, every eye closed across all of our locations. I want to give you that opportunity today to have a heart transplant, to remove that religious heart or that rebellious heart and allow it to be redeemed. We talked about it a lot today, but let me just summarize briefly. Jesus, the perfect son of God, lived a life you could never could, perfect, so that he could die in your place because you and I deserved it. His death gave us access to the relationship that was the path of redemption and grace, our very salvation. His resurrection gives us victory, which is why we can now have power over our sin, led by the Holy Spirit, and over the grave. It's lost its finality because now we have an eternal home in heaven with our heavenly Father because of Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Romans tells us our responsibility, that we're called to be disciples of Jesus, but to be a disciple, we have to first make a decision. How do I do that, Pastor? It says, I confess with my mouth and I believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, which means he's in control. If you want to make that decision today to make Jesus the Lord of your life, Come on, you've been rebellious your whole life. You've created a mess and now you've heard a message of redemption and you want to receive that today. Or maybe you've been religious and you've settled for what you can do, what you can earn, how good you can be. And you know today that you need to get rid of bitterness, entitlement, anger, and self-sufficiency and you need to give your life back to Jesus. I'd love to pray with either one of those two. First time or recommitting your life, maybe for the first time in a long time. I'd love to pray with you this morning. If that's you at Winter Park, Sanford, Oviedo, online as well. If you say, I want to pray that prayer, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, would you raise your hand right where you are this morning? Come on, I got one, two, three in the middle here, four, five, six, seven over here, eight, nine, ten. A couple on the left side. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yep. Stadium. A few hands I see. It's awesome. Oviedo. Well, God's moving in your auditorium right now, Sanford as well, somebody joining us online. Giving your life to Jesus. It's the best decision you can ever make. You can put your hands down. If you raise your hand, if you would pray this, uh, just in your heart as I pray it out loud, say this, say, God, I love you. And God, I thank you for saving me. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner in need of a savior. And I'm repenting from those sins. I do confess with my mouth and I believe in my, my heart that you, Jesus, are Lord. And God, I give you that place today, complete and total control. God, have your way. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. God, we love you. We thank you for meeting us here this morning. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody at Action Church said amen and amen. Church, can we celebrate all the decisions that were just made? So proud of you.